Chapter 11 of The Astonishing History of Troy Town by Sir Arthur Thomas Quillacooch. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 11 Of a Wesleyan Minister that would improve upon nature, and thereby trained a rook to good principles. Well, sir, it all happened when I lived up to Penelick, and worked long with Varmer Meneer. Old lawyer Meneer, as he was nicknamed, a little cribbage-faced man with a dandy-go-russet wig and only one eye. Leastways, he hasn't but one for so long when I know him. That's what the yarn's about, though, so as will go slow, if you please, and hush a bit, as Mary Bezwetherick says to the engine-driver. Now, Lord Manier was a circuit-preacher, or the Wesleyan Methody persuasion, though he'd a got to cross-purposes with the rest of the brethren and run the sect all to himself, which he called the United Free Church Original Seceders. They were called original cedars for short, and the old man had a tolerable decent following, being a first-class mover of souls, and powerful lot again the unregenerate, which didn't prevent his being a miserable old varmint, and so deep as Garrick in his ordinary dealings. Oh, he was a regular split fig, and he'd go where the devil can't, and that's atween the oak and the rind. I see, said Mr. Fago. Yes, sir. Why, the very first day I took service, oh, I was a tiny tucker then, he says to me, Caleb, my boy, you'd look all skin and bones for the present, but there's no knowing what panhelic beef and puddin' may do for ye yet, if tis teaten with a thankful heart. Howsoever, about the work, I want you to take the dree jackasses and go to beach for the oarweed, and as I likes to give a good boy like you a few privileges, you be busy and carry so many seams as ye can, and I'll give drapence for every seam more than twenty. Well, sir, I work like a Trojan and I've killed they jackasses, and I tell you twas busy all to carry trina twenty seam. In the evening, out of work, I went to lawyer Manier and asked about the ninepence. I never got ninepence so hard in all my born days. When he paid me, he looked so sly, and says he, You my nation clever boy you be, and I don't grudge ye the money. But now I sees what ye can do. Of course I'd respect thee to carry trina twenty seam every day, regular. For the workman, says he, is worthy of his hour. Darn it, thought I to myself, this won't do. I never seed exactly the beef and puddin' the old man talked about. Howsoever, I stayed with the psalmer's hunting old cudger, though he made me most amazed at times to hear the way he carry on down at the meeting house about the greed and the like, and all the time looking round to see who would owe to Papney. My brethren, he called out, my poor sinful flock, that you clings to your flocks and herds, and tents and died apparel, like unto Korah should you be, and like unto Dathan and Abraham, so sure as I am sole agent for Carnaby's bowmanure in this here district? Oh, it is true, sir. And then he rap out the hymn, Come and matra, my brethren, and sister Trisidal give you the pitch. Whatever Lord us lends to thee, repaid a thousandfold will be, then gladly with us give to thee. And I reckon that was about the size of it. Oh, he was an anointed old rascal. All the same, Law Manier was reckoned a powerful wrestler in the spirit by the rest of the church membership, only there was one thing as went again, and that was he hadn't but one eye. Though Maria Churguin, as was known to have had experience, and was brought under conviction by the old man, told me that it made him luck the more terrifying. Uh, like Polyphemus, put in Mr. Fogo. Polywitch? Oh, never mind. I didn't acknowledge the surname. But never mind, as you say, sir, feelings is feelings, and the old Meneer's worn eye went mortal again on. 
"'Not but what he wouldn't turn it to a countenaner then. "'Thomas doubted,' he said one day, "'and how was he convinced? "'Why, by oracular demonstration. "'An ocular, Caleb. Uh, "'Right you are, sir, and thank you for the correction, "'as the boy said to the pupil-teacher. "'By ocular demonstration,' says he. "'Perhaps you don't know what ocular demonstration is, me brethren. "'Well, I'll tell ye. "'That's a wall, ain't it? "'And I'm a preacher, aren't I? "'And you be worms, Betty.' Why, I can see it much, though, I hadn't but one eye, and that's ocular demonstration. But, as I was saying, one eye is a wished business, howsoever you may turn it upwards and call it your thorn in the flesh, and the likes. And more than a few of the regular succeeders fell away from the old man's meeting-house, and became backsliders, through fear of being overlooked and ill-wished, so they said. I reckon twas all quignogs, but he did look plaguey like the evil eye, and that there's no denying. Well, sir, Matters went on this way for a brave time, and the attendance got less, till lawyer Manier was fairly at his wit's end. He talked to weak-kneed brethren, and put your hands to the plough, and dressed the pill out of cushion and forum, and kicked up a purty dido, till you could hear the rendezvous of Sunday mornings way over to the side of Carnhill. But twan't no matter of good. And as for the childer at the Sunday school, that old rapscallion laid powerful store by his Sunday school, was bare hand every one to get mun to face that eye, "'And you wouldn't clane their faces and grease their hairs, you would,' the mothers told me, "'and seamen off put down the road to meet nows. "'But turn your back, and they'd be mitching in a brace of shakes "'away to go for Coombe Beach, "'and playing idy-peeping their clane pinafores among the rocks. "'But was Shiva among the church members, and no mistake. "'And how would I come round, there's no telling, "'if it hadn't been for what lawyer Manair called a vouchsacement of mercy. "'And the way thicky vouchsacement come about was this.' The old man was up to Plymouth one day about some shares he'd a took in a trading schooner, for he'd a finger in most pies. Nothing in the way of business coming amiss to him. Like Nicholas Kemp, he'd occasion for all. Uh, "'Who was Nicholas Kemp?' inquired Mr. Fergo. "'Warn your figure of speech, sir. Well, old Manier ain't a done a business, and was strolling up Union Street long with his missus, Aunt Deborah Manier, as her name was. Fine barley woman, but a bit half-baked in her wits. Put in with the bread, as they say and took out with the cakes, when he fetches up on a sudden afore a shop windy. There was crutches inside, and jury-legs fastened out of cork, and plaster-heads drawn out in maps with county towns marked in, and bubs to show why different folks broke different commandments, and rows of teeth a grizzling, and blue spectacles, and splints enough to camp shed a thirty-acre field, and ear-trumpets, and malignant growths. Uh, malignant growths? Yes, sir, in spirits of wine. What took the old man's notice were a trayful of glass eyes put out for sale of the windy, and looking so natural as life, blue eyes, brown eyes, eyes as black as a sloan, and others, they told me, as went different colours, cordon as you looked at mun. Anyway, old Manier pulled up short and clinched Deborah by the elbow. "'Like unto the fish-pools in Eshburn, said he, and with that he bounces into the shop. "'How much for them eyes?' he asks his. "'Do ye want the lot?' says the chap in the shop. "'a regular little dandy sprat, and so pert as a jay-pie in June. "'Cause it makes a reduction on taking a quantity,' says he. "'One'll do for me,' says Lawyer Minier. "'That'll be two pound ten apiece,' says the whippersnapper, "'and ten shilling for fixin'. "'Well, sir, you may fancy the old man's face when he heard the price. "'He sot down like as if the wind was took out of his sails, and says he, "'I'll give ye thirty shillin'.' "'The shopman wouldn't have this. "'So at it they went. "'iggling and aggling on till twas agreed at last "'he should have the eye for two pound five, fixings included. 
was like drawing blood from a stone. But the old man had done a stroke of business that day, so in the end he pulls out his bag and tells out the money upon the counter. "'And now,' says the whippersnapper, "'what shall he have? Grey's the colour, I reckons, if you want a match.' "'Drat the colour,' says old millionaire. "'I've a paid my price, and I've the biggest, if it be passing me red.' "'Well, the shopman laughs, of course, but lets him have his own way, "'and the old man picked out the biggest. "'Bright blue it was, something the colour of a hedgy sparrow's egg, "'and shiny clear like a glass alley. "'There was a brave long while getting him fixed, cause so big. "'He'd have been content and took a smaller one, he'd have done better, but he was bound to be over-rich him, was the old varmit, and so he'd come to grief, as you shall hear. As many folks in this world be known as Kate Mullet. I, I, I never heard of that lady, said Mr. Fogo. Oh, there's not much to know, sir, except that they say he was hanged for a fool. Howsoever, to shorten the arm, old Manier got his eye fixed at last, and went home with Aunt Deborah so pleased as punch. Next Sunday, twas Hamlet's ghost among the Rignall succeeders, and no mistake. Some of the female members felt a screaming so soon as ever they clapped eyes on the old man, and Sister Trudgeon was taken with a fit, and had to be carried out with two deacons to her head and two to her heels, and kicking so that Deacon Hoskins couldn't master her victuals for upper a fortnight, he was that hurted internally. And the worst was that, what with the rampers and her singing out Pillaloo, and how the devil was amongst men, having great wrath, the lawyer's sermon about a wrecked and adulterous generation seeking out her sign was clean spiled. Out of the service, too, there was a deal of discussion. Some toast was sinful to interfere with nature in that way, and wrong in a professing Christian like Manier, and all agreed the new eye gave him a jan-jansy kind of look, as if, said Deacon Hoskins, he was blinching fifty ways for grace. There was some talk, too, about axing the old man to resign, but nothing came of it, and after a time, when the congregation got a bit reconciled, folks began to allow the new eye improved Manier's pulpit manner, and guessed that after all. He won't be a powerful engine for effectual salvation. It had a dead appearance, if you understand me, sir, and yet a sort of ghastly wakefulness, like a thing on a human, because of course it never winked. The old man couldn't have winked, not for a five-pound note, for the thing was that big it strained his eyelid like a drum. Besides which, it had a way of keeping order among the worshippers that you couldn't believe unless you seed it. For let alone the colour out, you never knowed whether it was fixed on you or ten pews off. "'but somehow felt dead sure twas you all the time, "'and couldn't have moved, "'not if you had a blue-tailed fly inside the black of your collar. "'Well, sir, naturally the meeting-house began to fill again, "'at first out of curiosity, "'but by and by the list of admitted members began to fill up. "'Folks couldn't hold out when the old lawyer ramped on about t'other world, "'and there was that eye fixing them, looking as though it had been there. "'I needn't tell you, the old man wore it every Sunday. "'Indeed, he wore it most days, but took her out at nights, I've heard, for wouldn't shut when he slept, but used to scare old Deborah Manier fairly out of her skin her moonshiny nights when the light coming in upon it. And even when I got him to leave it off, I used always to put a teacup on top of it for closing an eye. So it went on, sir, till one Sunday morning, when the lawyer was fairly warming to his work over the wickedness of backsliders and the wrath to come, he waxed the cushion more than ordinary violent, and I reckon that made the eye work loose. Anyway, out it drops, and clatters down along the floor of the meeting-house. Now Deacon Oxins in them days had charge of the Sunday-school boys. He was a short-sighted man, the deacon, though that was his misfortune. But he had faults as well, and one of these was a powerful knack of dropping off to sleep during sermon-time. Howsoever, he managed very tidily, for he knew he was bound to wake himself so long as he began to snore, 
and then he'd start up sudden and fetch the nice boy a rousing whisk-cuff upon the side of the head to cover the noise he'd made, and cry out, "'I've a caught ye again, have I? I'll teach you to interrupt the word of grace with your gamut and may-games.' And he'd look round like as if he'd say, "'Sorry to interrupt, Brevin, but discipline is discipline.' Many's the time I've a seen him do this, and you may take my word, sir, for so good as a play. Now this morning Deacon Hoskins was taking forty winks as usual, when the clatter made by the old meneer's eye made him set up, wide awake and staring. This time, judging by the noise, he took a consait that the boys had been a-playing marbles, sure enough, so he takes two at haphazard, knocks their heads together, and then looks about. First thing he sees is the eye lying out upon the aisle, and looking for all the world like a big shiny glass alley. I told you, sir, that Deacon was short of sight. He had no doubt by this time the boys had been fooling about with marbles, so he reaches out, grabs the eye, and slips it into his drowsy pocket, and then he takes a glance round, so much as to say, I reckon the owner of this here glass alley will have to wait before he can see it again. In course, the rest of the brethren gnawed what had happened, and one or two felt a tittering a bit, but altogether there was a kind of breathlessness for a moment or two, and then the old minier sings out from the pulpit, "'Brother Hoskins, I'll trouble you to kindly pass up that eye.' Deacon Hoskins stared a bit, but was too short a sight to see what the matter was. "Hey," says he. "'Hand up that eye, if you please.' "'What eye?' says the deacon. The old minier stamped and seemed fit to swear. "'Why, my eye, you nation buffalhead!' The lawyer didn't mind much what he said when his back was up, and after all twere in a kind of way excusable. "'Look here,' answers back the deacon. If you've dropped your eye, and be that fond of a cheap-jack thing that you can't get on without it, send round Deacon Spettigue to hunt, and not a man as can see six inches afore your nose. It's out of reason, he said, and you ought to know better. In course, though, when he found out his mistake and lugged the thing out of his pocket, there was Bedlam let loose, for up five minutes, every mother's son chittering and laughing, and the Deacon looking like a pig in a fit. He deserted the seceders that very week, and never darkened the meeting-house door again to the day of his death. Well, the fuss got calmed over, but somehow the lawyer couldn't never trust his eyes he used to. He said twern't fully dependable. Sure enough, within a month it slipped out again, and the old man was forced to go to Plymouth and buy another a bit smaller. So he lost by his mean ways after all. He tried to trade back the old eye, but the shopman wouldn't. So he bought it home in his pocket, laid it by the china cupboard, longed with a tlome, and there it bided. And now, sir, I'm a-coming to the most curiousest part of my yarn, and he can't believe it or know as he thinks fit, but I'll tell you just what I knows, and no more. Some two years arter, Laura Manier took a corner out the twenty-acre field, a little patch to the right of the gate as he went in, and planted it with green peas. Six rows he planted, and beautiful peas too, only the burrs wouldn't let them have a chance. Well, at last the old man got mad, and stuck me upon the top of the hedge with a clapper, to scare the birds away, besides which, to make sure, he rigged up a scarecrow was a lovely scarecrow, two cross-sticks and the farmer's old coat. It was the coat he'd got a married in forty years before. He gid to me when the scarecrow had done with it, and the tails were so long as an act of Parliament. Top of this was a whacking big termit by way of face, with a red scarf round the neck, for Aunt Deborah's petticoat, and one of the old man's left-off wigs upon the crown, and a high-pulf hat, a bit rusted with plenty observance, to finish. Did I say to finish? "'Well, then, I said wrong. "'Cause just when I'd a rigged un up, "'down comes Aunt Deborah and cries out, "'Oh, Caleb, ye be something more. "'Do ye fix it in, that's a dear?' 
and if I don't scare away any bird as ever flied, then, says she, I'm worse nor any bird. With that, she opens her hand and gives me the lawyer's cast-off eye. So I outs with my pocket-knife and digs the hole in the termit face, and inside of ten minutes there was the scarecrow finished off. Oh, sir, it was a beautiful scarecrow, and when I stuck it up, I tell you that from the kitchen windows, three hundred yards away, it seemed like life itself. Well, sir, first day it was stuck there, I stopped beside the edge, round the corner, watching, and when I saw two queerish things happened, though the first wasn't so queer neither, but just human nature, when it comes to consider it. It was this. I hadn't been in an hour before two score and three women, I know it's because I kept count, came, one after another, down to the gate, to make sheep's eyes at that scarecrow, having heard as there was a well-dressed lad down among the peas. And that's true, if I swears it upon the book. Ah, was Mr. Fergo's only comment. Yes, sir, and well you may say so. For the next thing I noticed was a sight queerer. In fact, I don't know, but it's the queerest go I ever heard tell about. But you may judge for yourself. I've been sitting there for the best part of two hour, and keeping count of how one bird after another coming up for their peas and turned tail at sight of the scarecrow. For it didn't seem like no ordinary scarecrow, sir, with that eye a glinting in the sunshine. I couldn't see it from where I sought, and so the birds thought. Well, one after another, steps up and flies off as if very to a time, when Byman Long comes an old rook. He just sauntered up quite leisurable, did this rook, and lit upon a pea-stick to take a blinch round. Naturally he catches sight of the scarecrow, and naturally I look for him to turn tail like the rest. But no, sir. Where he was, the scarecrow's back was towards him, and that old bird just looks at him up and down, and this way and that, and cocks his head upon one side, and looks again, and chuckles for all the world, as if to say, It looked like a man, and tis fixed like a man, but dash my wig, if tain't a scarecrow, and no more I ain't fit to go living in an aid of imitations. Well, he just sot and sot, and after a while he began for to taste the flavour of the joke, and then he lay back and laughed to that bird till he was fit to sweat. I reckon I'd heard a bird's laugh before this, but I made an error. My heavens, sir, but he just clinched on to that pea-stick and shook the enjoyment out of himself like a gundra shedding cannonballs from a hat. And then he'd stop a bit, and then fall to hooting again, till I was forced to laugh too, way back behind the edge, for company. And every time he noted a fresh bit of likelihood in the scarecrow, he'd go off in a fresh fit. I thought he'd never have done. But in a while he hushed, and waited a bit to calm his nerves, and stepped down off the pea-stick. Thinks I, what's he up to now? And I stood up to see, but quiet-like, so I shouldn't scare him. I hadn't long to wait. He just steps up behind the scarecrow, makes a leg, so grave as you please, and commences for to dance round him, first, first upon one leg, then upon a t'other, like as t'was a haven dancing round a graven image. But the flaunting insolence, sir, the brazen, fleering abusefulness, not a feather, if you believe me, but fairly leaked with ribaldry, just leaked. The old bird had gone halfway round, a-mincing and japing and throwing out his legs this way and that, and getting more boldacious and undecent with every step, when he cocks his head askew for a second, just to see how the poor image was a-taking it, at that moment he catches the scarecrow's eye. Oh, sir, to see the change has come over that bird. The fourthness went out of him like the world like a wind out in a pricked bladder. I reckon next minute there wasn't no meaner sickly looking critter between this and Johnny Groats than that old brook. There was a kind of shiver ran through him, and his feathers went roughly like, 
and his legs bowed in, and he just lay flat to ground and goggled and gazed up at that eye like a dying duck in a thunderstorm. It was a rich sight, sir, and how I contrived not to bust myself with laughing is more than I can tell you to this day. So he, he lay for up to ten minutes, and then he staggered up upon his feet and sneaked out of them peas like a chuck-sheep dog, and the repentance of trickling out of him every paw. He passed by me that close I could have knocked him over with a stick, but he didn't see him more than if I'd been a pisky man. All his notice, I reckon, were for that ghastly eye, and he looked back every now and again, as if he'd say, I be but worms, and was not that I've been a scoffing, lying, Sabbath-breaking old worms. But do he's let me off this once, and I'll strive and wrestle, he seemed to say, and do purty work all like a rook can do to be gathered to the fold. And with that he slinks over the edge and out of sight. Well, sir, I didn't see him again next day, nor for many days after. But on Sunday week, as he might be, in the morning I'd have took French leave and absented myself from meeting-house, and were quietly smoking my pipe up in the town-place, when I hears a chittering and a chattering like as twere a little way off, and looking down towards the twenty-acred field, I'd see twere black with rooks. Fairly black, sir, black as the top of your hat. Thinks I, I reckon there's some new caper, and I loafs down to see the fun. I steals down the lane and looks over the gate, and when I takes in at last what's they're all about, my, you'd have knocked me down with a feather. "'Twas a prayer-meeting them rooks was holding, sir, as I'm a sinner. "'The peas was fairly in with the crowd, "'and twas that thick I counted six upon one pea-stick. "'And in the middle, just under the scarecrow, "'stood up the old rook that I'd seen afore, "'and told his experiences. "'He ramped and raved and mopped and mowed "'and kept a nodding his head towards the scarecrow "'to show how his salvation was worked. "'And all the time the rest of the rooks sat still as mice.' Only when he pulls up to breathe a bit, they lets out and squalls as if to say, Amen. Twas working, twas working, pray strong, brother. And as he did get go again, same as he must. And at last, when twas old breath or a bust we on, he ups and starts a him, and they all joins in, till he mustn't hear the caprows two miles off. That were the finish, too. For after the row died away, there was a minute or so of silent prayer, then the whole gang gets up off them pea-sticks and sails away for Squire Tresorwen's rookery to the side of the hill. Well, in course I tells the tale, and was called a liar for my pains. But the same thing happened next Sunday, and the Sunday arter, and not a pea stolen all the time, and a good few people come down behind the edge to see, and owned up as I were right. It got to be the talk of the country, and how twould have ended, goodness only knows, if I hadn't a spoiled the sport myself. And how I did so, you shall hear. One day I took a consent as t'would be a game to take away the scarecrow's eye and see what happened. So, late upon a Saturday night, down I goes and digs out the eye with my jackknife and lays it careful down upon the ground beside it, and so off to bed. Next morning I were out down waiting some time before the rooks was due, and by and by, about eleven in the forenoon, long they comes by the score and takes the sittings upon the pea-sticks. They was barely settled when out steps me old rook and walks up to the scarecrow to lead off, same as usual. He gives a shake of the head to see his jawing tacks loose, casts a glance upwards towards the eye, just a feel inspiration, and starts back like he's a big shot. You could see the astonishment clinching, and the other looks of righteousness melted off his face like snow in an oven. Well, that bird I give, sir, and one of these was a par of fashionable expression. Well, back he starts, and with the same catches sight of the eye lying upon the ground, and staring up all heavenly blue and smiling. There was a pause out of this just about so long as you could count twenty, 
and the rest of the congregation began to fidget and whisper round that something was up, when all upon a sudden my old rook straightens itself up and begins to cuss and to swear. What's that you say, sir? Rooks don't swear. Oh, don't tell me. Blasphemy? Why, in two minutes the air was stiff with blasphemy. He might have cut it with a knife. An oath? Why, he could feel the oath. And there he sot and cuss it and cuss it and sot and lets the hatefulness run out like water from a pump. In course, twon't long before the rest gathered round to learn what the mess was, and then there was Chevy Chase. They handed round the eye and looked at it this way and that, and explained what had happened one to t'other, and then the Ushans took quiet while their dacivered brother cussed himself out. Not a smile among the lot, sir, not a wink, as I be a truthful man. At last he'd a done, and not too soon for his lungs, and then the lot sat down and considered it out, and still not a word for minutes together. But all to one stop starts a youngish-looking rook, and makes a speech. Twere a long speech, sir, and naturally I didn't understand a word, but I catched his drift in a minute. For they rooks started up, walked back to their seats, and what do you think they did? I couldn't pretend to guess, said Mr. Fogo. They just started that service again, sir, and paralysed it from start to finish. They mixed up old jests with the prayers, and flung in fancy yarns with their experiences, and made a mock of this expectation. And what they sung in place of the hymn, I don't know. But I don't know this much. It weren't fit for a woman to listen to. Well, I laughed. I was forced to laugh. But after a while it grew a bit too strong, and I runned up to the house to fetch down a few folks to look. I went away above ten minutes, but when I comed back there was no rook to be seen, nor no eye, neither. They'd have carried it off to Squire Tresorn's rookery, and it's never been seen from that day to this. There was silence for a few moments as Caleb finished his story and lit another pipe. Finally Mr. Fogo roused him to ask, "'What became of your master, Caleb?' "'Dead, sir, dead,' answered Caleb, staring into the embers of the fire. "'He lived to a powerful age, though all be a bit totally in, in her latter days. "'But for all that, he mightn't have been like Tantrobobus, lived till he died, "'or at least been a centurion.' "'A, a what? Centurion, sir, otherwise a hundred years old. "'But he went round land at last, and was found dead in his bed. "'Or heartbreak, they did say, long after his granddaughter Joanna run away with an army cap'n. "'Ah!' said Mr. Fogo pensively. She was a woman, was she not? To be sure, sir, what else? A female woman, and so baptised. There was a moment's silence. Then Caleb resumed. But contrariwise, sir, the army captain was a man. Ah, yes, of course. Let us be just. The army captain was a man. Caleb, said Mr. Fogo, with a sudden change from his pensive manner, has it ever occurred to you to guess why I, not yet an old man, Caleb, "'I'm living in this solitude.' "'Begging your pardon, sir, and making so free as to guess, "'but were you a woman by any chance?' "'Yes,' said his master, rising hurriedly and lighting his candle. "'It was a woman, Caleb. It was a woman. "'You won't forget that notice to-morrow morning, will you? "'The first thing, if you please, Caleb.' End of chapter 11